everybody, and welcome to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers for May 2021, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Harvey Ovshinsky about his book, Scratching the Surface, Adventures in Storytelling, a deeply personal and intimate memoir told through the lens of Harvey's lifetime of adventures as an urban enthusiast. He was only a teenager when he started the Fifth Estate, one of the country's oldest underground newspapers. And then five years later, he became one of the country's youngest news directors in commercial radio at WABX-FM, Detroit's notorious progressive rock station. Both jobs placed Ovshinsky directly in the bullseye of the nation's tumultuous counterculture of the 60s and 70s. When he became a documentary director, Ovshinsky's dispatches from his hometown were awarded broadcasting's highest honors, including a National Emmy, a Peabody, and the American Film Institute's Robert M. Bennett Award for Excellence. I began my interview with Harvey Ovshinsky by asking him why was this the right time to finally write his memoir i've always written i've always put pen to paper but always about always in in the service of telling other people's stories i was a documentary producer i was a journalist a talk show host and um and always very involved in asking just the right questions to tell my story with their answers and and i guess as you age and one day you will Martin, uh, you'll find that um, you want to find out what was missing. Was there a piece missing in my career? Because I've had several of them. And it was, yes. Um, I got tired of um, uh, asking my questions and using their answers to thread my story. Where was my voice? I, I was curious. I, I said, what happened to it? <laughs> Why did I... <laughs> Did, did it go to the cloud? You know, what about my answers to my questions? So it was time. For people who are just listening for the first time to this interview and going, who is this person, Harvey Obshinsky, that Martin is talking to? Uh, give us Harvey 101, starting at, at the beginning of your career. Where, where are you from originally? And what would you consider some of the high points of your career that you write about in your new book? Well, in scratching the surface, I talk. I was born in Akron, Ohio, but my home planet is Detroit. I mean, that, that's. I don't dream about Akron. I don't dream about Gross Point, where I lived. I don't even dream about Ann Arbor, where I live now, and I love. I dream about the mother planet. I dream about the city. So all my stories from childhood. The first, <laughs> the first um, part of the book is called my first childhood, where I first started to uh, scratch on paper and and write in a diary and publish a newspaper, a fanzine, and uh, eventually an alternative a literary magazine that almost got me kicked out of school. I just love telling stories. Uh, and in the beginning, I wanted to tell my stories. But for reasons revealed in the first chapter of my first childhood in Scratching the Surface, uh, it was not safe or didn't feel comfortable. It wasn't time. And so ever since then, I just found ways to tell my stories using other, let other people take the chances, take the risk, spill their beans, mm. but not mine. And I just love doing it. I mean, it was very satisfying. And I wasn't picky about 
which platform or, or media. My grandson, Toby, I mean, he loved crayons. He loved drawing with chalk. And then he graduated to finger painting. He was not picky. Like his Napa, he was not picky about <laughs> which, how he chose to express himself. So I, so I just couldn't stop. And this was an accumulation of many years of thinking about how I could tell my story in unison with others. And, and it worked, I think. I'm very satisfied. As I jumped into the book, uh, and we've got to talk about this, first of all, uh, you were a teenager when you started The Fifth Estate. This is one of the oldest underground newspapers yeah. in the United States. I've sold copies at Adams Junior High School, and I think I brought my reel-to-reel tape recorder and was playing Strange Days by the Doors and got into a little trouble with the principal that didn't day. We all. Yeah, didn't we all at that time? And uh, for contemporary listeners, they may be going, wow, a, a printed newspaper and underground. And why was this happening in the 1960s? And why sure. was this uh, guy who was a teenager think it was so important to start the, the fifth estate? Some background in history about how all this came about, Harvey. Yeah, it wasn't hard. It's, a, it's all context, it's all perspective. Uh, the underground press, uh, whether it was newspapers or eventually radio when I went to ABX, um, was all is is it was then what the internet is today. It was a disruptor, a media disruptor. Um, in the old days, the straight, the corporate, the daily press, they were like this um, this hand hand mirror. They held up a hand mirror to society, and oh, this is what white people were doing in the suburbs, and this is what white people and old people were doing in the city. Um, what about the rest of us? young 17-year-old, black and white, gay and others. So we held up a hand, we held a, a full-length mirror to their hand mirror. We said, no, there's more, there's a lot more. So we called it alternative, mainly because it was an alternative to the corporate above ground, um, what did Trump call it? Um, something media, he's, he's already gone from my memory. Um, the straight press. So we wanted to show more than they were showing, tell more. And also connect the dots. You know, there's always been a counterculture, regardless of which era. There's always been a culture counter to the establishment culture. So all these dots, these um, anti-war folks, these civil rights folks, these gay people, these women who were confined generally to the uh, to the entertain no to the family section, the society section oh, of the yes. newspapers. You know, what, what about the rest of us? So I wanted to connect all those dots, and the Fifth Estate was my way of doing it. And how did it begin? How much, what, what was the financial investment? And was it an immediate excess? Did it take off pretty quickly? No, how did you get no, it distributed? No. Playboy magazine described our first issue as an embarrassment of cut and paste and misspellings. And um, it was, I was seven, I've always been proud of my starting so young, but it, it, it there was a cost, you know. Um, I, I, I kind of wish I had in high school worked on the school paper instead of starting my own <laughs> and learned from people who actually knew what they were doing. So, and there were two blank pages. I didn't know tabloid press ran off the print. They ran off the press, uh, you know, eight pages at a time. And I only ate, laid out six pages. What did I, I knew? Uh, I was 17. I got to know our readership. I, I got to know uh, friends in the community who didn't know about the underground press, but wanted to contribute. John Sinclair you know, oh, yeah. who was and is the grandfather of hippiedom, 
I called them beatniks when I was 17, but they were hippies, they were freaks, okay? And um, he helped me unite the druggies and the muse, music people and the hippies and the beats with the political people, because there was a lot going on, not only in our brains with the drugs, but also on the streets in terms of uh, civil rights and civil justice. And that's what the paper was about. So Sinclair helped me open my eyes and opened our readership with a second issue. He and his wife, Lenny Sinclair, who took the photographs. I didn't have any photographs, couldn't afford it in the first issue. And then Peter Werby, you know, uh, I, I was a student at Monteith College at Wayne, could not do both, couldn't publish a newspaper while studying to get a degree in journalism. Couldn't do it. Not when you're 17. So I was going to quit the paper. And I went to the Detroit, the offices of the Detroit Committee and the War in Vietnam. And um, and I uh, said, look, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. I need some help. No one raised their hand. Peter Werby, who was a you know, a peace activist from formerly from Michigan State, then in Detroit. I didn't know he was in the uh, in the group in the meeting. He loved the fifth estate. He said, "I'll do it." And you know, Peter hasn't stopped. He's still with the paper mm-hmm. fifty-five years later. So I started the fifth estate. Peter saved it, and his wife Marilyn, and so many others. And then um, the rest is history. Uh, we, <laughs> mm-hmm. we we were um, who knew we were making history as well as reporting it? Who knew? A few years after the Fifth Estate began, you became the youngest or one of the youngest news directors at a radio station. I dare say I I would not have I wouldn't have the same sensibility about music at all if it wasn't for growing up with WABX FM. Nor I. There was great radio in Detroit, Keener thirteen, um, you know CKLW, but when WABX came along. It's a little bit hard to describe how this expanded everyone's minds here because it broke every single rule in this magical way when it came to presenting music. And again, take us back. What was WABX all about? And tell us about your role there. Well, I was drafted which is why I left the fifth estate in 1968. And after two years of alternative service at a, at a state mental hospital, I was eager to jump back in, but I, I get bored easily. I wasn't ready to go back to the paper. I wanted to go forward. And I had a show on WABX called uh, Up Against the Wall. You had to be there. Oh, yeah. a, a Sunday talk show, music hybrid show. And I also did a talk show on what is now Riff, but was then WXYZ FM called Spare Change. So I had to choose ABX, WXYZ, FM. Where, where could I go next? And so I chose ABX. Blew my mind. I mean, they were so creative, so inventive, so imaginative, so unfamiliar what, with what you and I were used to on the radio. Not unlike what you did later in your own career. You learned well, young Jedi. <laughs> Thank you, sir. <laughs> no. You you learned well. I mean, you are a, you were and are on Sunday nights and still are in your alternative realities. Like like you, you you're not picky about how you express yourself. No, no, or no. where or when. But um, we, we mixed genres, we mixed um, genders, we mixed eras. I mean, it made you know you were Dave Dixon w- without the attitude. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for the old timers out there. Uh, yes. Look it up, Dave Dixon. Yes. <laughs> anyway, so it was just 
as exciting for you as it was for me, but no news. Young people didn't listen to news. I don't know how they are now, but back in the day, there wasn't any newscast that spoke to them about what interested them. Music brought them to the table, but once there, I wanted to take advantage and exploit their, their love for music to provide them with news with perspective and context and point of view to say, this music didn't come from out of the blue. The blues just didn't magically happen because uh, Dave Dixon and Jerry Lubin and the other ABX jocks decided. There's a history, there's a perspective, there's a context, there's politics behind the music. Oh, and yeah. so I, heck, I played music behind some of my newscasts, you know, bait and switch, come for the music, but stay for the news. <laughs> you know, your mother should know. I'm doing a story about abortion. Your mother should know. Contact mm -hmm. High by Ike and Tina or whoever they were at the time, for a uh, you know, story about the drug rehab program at Common Ground. So context and perspective. Mm -hmm. I also created a thesaurus. I was very proud of this. And I talk about this in, in the book. Uh, the, when I was out in the field, I was out in the field with my Motorola cassette recorder as much as I was in the studio delivering the news. So what to do? They used to, record, they used to rip and read the Associated Press Newswire. Boy. Not on my show, not on my watch. So I created this thesaurus. Please, he's not he's not Cassius Clay. He's Muhammad Ali. He's you know Fred Hampton, Huey Newton. They weren't black militants. Give them their titles in their organization. Um, one of my regrets, I couldn't put everything in the book, is I wanted to reprint the thesaurus because here's what we say, here's what we don't say, here's why, here's not. So they were able to the jocks were able to when I wasn't there tell my kind of news in their voice without embarrassing ourselves or, or, or damaging the brand of what we were trying to do, me with news and them with music. How long were you with WABX and what was your next step into making documentaries? I was at ABX for about three years, three, almost going into my fourth year, I decided, well, ABX, <laughs> like Toby's Napa, like Martin Van Dyke, like so many of us wanted to explore band, experience, other genres, other fat platforms and media. So we had a show, a television show at ABX on uh, Channel 56 at one time and later on uh, Channel 62 called Live from Earth, yep. where we played music. And then later it became, um, what was the show we called it? Uh, Two Works, where we not only, the jocks introduced the, the musical acts and I interviewed the Politicos and uh, the Beatniks, Jane Fonda, you know, uh, Phil Oaks, look them up. <laughs> I saw Phil Oaks. I, I talk about I this a lot in, I uh, I whenever I play him, but I saw him at the Eugene McCarthy rally for president in 1968. And it's one of my greatest musical memories of no. all time. I mean, oh, so my job wasn't just to listen to him play, but to talk to him. I, I love asking questions. Maybe that's the common denominator between my chalk and my finger painting, you know, and uh, I love asking questions. Only recently with writing the book, I was able to have my cake and eat it too. I could ask my questions and answer them and find a way to structure them and, and tell them, structure them in the form of, of stories that not only, I didn't want this book to be, it's a memoir, but I didn't want it to be a, a, a selfie. You know, one of the things I taught my fourth graders, because I also love teaching this stuff, is that no one cares about your story. I tell this to the, my graduate students. No one gives, no one cares about your story unless you can make your story feel like mine. 
or yeah. theirs. Yeah. It's one of the things I always loved about your shows on the radio and what you write about it in, in your in your columns is that uh, it's just not about you and your love of the music. You love to share and to, in a very cathartic kind of way, exchange your feelings for the music with ours. And 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 that's, who wouldn't want to do that? Well, you're so, so kind. I forgot what your question was. <laughs> no, no. You, I, well, was, I wanted to, you to, as you worked your way from WABX oh, and became memoir. this accomplished do- documentary director, I mean, my gosh, the awards, the honors you've gotten, Emmy, Peabody, American Film Institute uh, Award. What? How did this happen, and what do you feel are some of your biggest accomplishments in well, this world? Well, how it happened was I made field. a lot of mistakes. <laughs> Write that down, folks. How it happens, I made a lot of mistakes. I learned a lot by doing, by creating, by taking chances, and not and failing at them, uh, and learning from each experience after another. So I didn't win all these awards my first, second, third year in broadcasting. That took a long time. And so I think one of the reasons for my success, uh, for the honors, for the awards, for the for the reputation that I have in these media, is that um, my stories don't just speak about and to the people that I interview, but to anyone else who who's interested in paying attention and who watches or reads or listens. That there's that whole cathartic experience, you know. In in literature, and I teach this stuff as well. Um, plot is what happens to the main characters in these stories, in in literature, in the movies, in plays. Theme is what happens to us when we go along for the ride. What, mm. what touches us? What have we learned? How did we experience their experience? So uh, that's the one thing that I think all these projects, all these media have in common is how to have a cathartic experience when my story feels like yours. Where, but on my Facebook page, I do the same thing. I never, you'll never know what I eat for breakfast. You'll never know, you know, what time of the day I went to the bathroom or here, you want to see my cast? I don't see my scar. You know, I don't do that on Facebook. I tell stories that speak to my, my only, my own experiences and feelings and also to yours, to theirs. If not, it's like the log is talking to itself in the forest. <laughs> it's worse than not being heard. It's talking to itself. It's listening to itself. That's not my idea of media, of communication, of dot connecting. It's not where I come from. Never was since childhood. Where does all this come from? Were your parents writers? Were they in? No, chapter, part four. No, part one of the book. Uh, my first childhood. I had a very difficult childhood. Um, most people know everything about me as a result of my work, but uh, I did not have a. I, I did not have a, an opportunity or a comfort level of speaking my voice, of raising my voice, of standing up for myself when I was young. There was a very bloody divorce, what I called the Seven Year War. I won't go into any details now, but uh, where you had to choose sides. Uh, and uh, it was very painful. Really, the first part of the book, I don't read generally the first chapters. I don't care how famous people, what their childhood was like. I want to get to the good stuff. I skip over that. I, not in this book. I, I needed to set the table so people would understand the context for my uh, my need to, and it was a need, to tell stories. Harvey, one final question for you. Yeah, I've had the pleasure in over what some 38 years of talking to and interviewing some uh, well-known folks and people who I've grown up listening to. Is there one person or a couple people you could name where you 
just could were pinching yourself going, I'm in on the phone with dot, 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 or in person in the studio with this man, this woman, this person. And I can't believe I'm well, so lucky enough to be here. Is there anyone who things. stands out? Yeah, two things. When I was 13, I wrote to Rod Serling, hmm. the creator of uh, The Twilight Zone. And I said, I want to be you. How do I become good at writing? I was 13. I gave myself a bar mitzvah present. I wrote him a letter. He gave me a present back and told me exactly what to do. And it's in the book. Okay, mm. That's the, the first person to come to mind. The second is you, Martin. When you were on the radio back in the day, less now because I don't listen to the same music that you play now, except on Sunday nights. Yeah, yeah. Um, on fine tuning. Um, you were an inspiration to me because this stuff, the first most important first rule of storytelling, and I have dozens, is to have some, is content. You have to have something to say. And listening to you and your programs and the others at DET and Dixon and my heroes, you know, while I was working, excuse me, while I was working, listening to your music and telling your stories with their, by the way, you didn't fool me telling your story with their music. I get that was an inspiration to me. So uh, the risk of embarrassing yourself, you and Rod Serling, not necessarily in that order, but had a profound influence. Not to mention your lovely wife, Kim, because I got to I got to hear the news too back in the day when she was on WDET. So, okay, that's three people. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, I'm blushing. True. Too kind. Oh, that's so sweet. True. Oh, lovely. Congratulations on this magnificent book, Harvey. I'm just so glad it has finally been published through Wayne State University Press. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Stay well, it's my friend. It's been my pleasure. It's been an honor. Oh. Martin wants to do it again. Thanks for listening to Martin Bandike Undercovers for May 2021. Our interview was with Harvey Obshinsky about his book, Scratching the Surface, Adventures in Storytelling. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. <laughs>